When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. John, what's your thoughts on all this Perez Verstappen? I just think that Perez needs to get his dad to send Kristen an email saying that he's not happy. <laughs> and uh, maybe that'll change things for him. It worked for Verstappen. <laughs> Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Words podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Dawn King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Brophy. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We are here today to review the Azerbaijan Grand Prix 2022. I'm Ollie. I'm your host. This show is sponsored by Eight Sleep. We'll tell you a bit more about that later. Um, on the panel with me, I've got Sam, who who's not covering me because I fell asleep this week. Indeed. In fact, I almost uh, missed it through sleep. Luckily, I set an alarm, uh, so I'm still uh, yeah getting rid of a bit of the brain fog. So. Apologies, they'll start slowly. Well, the problem is when you sleep, you have to remember everything again. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll get you there, Sam. Um, we've got James P. How are you? Pretty good, aren't we? Cheers, yeah. Looking forward to getting stuck into uh, about this race. Which is, uh, quite Indeed. And we've got a brand new panel member. John, how are you? Average. No, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries. Uh, we're glad to have you on the panel and hear some of your thoughts on this race and the races to come as well. So let's talk a bit about leading into the weekend, um, following on from our Wednesday news show. I think my favourite bit of news, I've, I've almost forgotten everything else. My favourite bit was Christian Horner's comment saying, Red Bull Racing is not Max Verstappen Racing. Guys, what did you make of this? Sam, do you think um, Christian Horner's saying the right thing here? He's drumming up. He, he's saying things that he can't reverse, isn't he? I don't think so. I think it's Christian Horner and he will say whatever he needs to say in the moment. 
that is the right thing to say from a PR point of view. Honestly, we all know it is Max Verstappen racing. So he can say whatever he likes. It doesn't change the reality behind what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason I like this so much now is is on reflection of what happened today. I mean, James, do you do you think Perez, you know, has any chance at taking this title, even if he is the faster driver? Where we are now, it seems to change race by race. Um, I think unless something is in the middle of the two of them, such as a driver or a rain shower, I don't see it happening. Uh, in Monaco, we had a very straight. We had that scenario where you had a Ferrari between the two of them. You're going to get past, so therefore Perez was okay to take the win. I just don't really see how it can happen. It's almost as if Christian Horner's taken the book out of the early 2000s and Jean Todd's management techniques when he was at Ferrari. Um, I just don't think that's the end of it, really. Well, it sounds a little bit like you've subscribed to the Jos Verstappen school of thought, James, that it should be about his son and only his son, which I find funny from a coming from a driver who was such a middling talent in reality himself. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's all a bit much. Mm. John, what's your thoughts on all this Perez Verstappen? I just think that Perez needs to get his dad to send Christian an email saying that he's not happy. And uh, <laughs> maybe that'll change things for him. It worked for Verstappen. Yeah. In fairness, his, his dad's um, a, a politician in Mexico, isn't he? So he's got a bit of political clout, so... Well, yeah, and also, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of backing he brings, uh, he brings in as well. He's a well-funded driver, Sergio Perez. I think people sometimes forget that. I mean, it could also be realistically that, and I don't think Jos would ever thank me for saying this, is, is Jos not perhaps living through his son a little bit? Jos's career wasn't the greatest. And, you know, perhaps there's a bit of sour grapes in there still. And it's one of these moments where you have the over-pushy parent I mean, I know Max isn't exactly a young child anymore. He's in his 20s, but there's a bit of that in there as well. Yeah, I, I think you're completely right. And um, to sort of link on from this, um, there's another driver who um, we need to talk about was in the news who might not actually finish this season. Sam, do you want to tell us about what's going on with Nicholas Latifi as we know it at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So... All season, really after everything that happened in Abu Dhabi, um, Latifi has had a bit of a kind of target on him um, from a fan perspective, from a performance perspective. And he hasn't had a good season by any marker. So there's been suggestions about him being replaced. They are starting to ramp up as we get into the midpoint of the season. And this comes in conjunction with news that a Mercedes is looking to potentially drop a an engine supplyee and it looks like Williams could be the the odd team out which has then meant that Renault or Alpine have been linked to providing Renault engines to Williams and now the further development that is as I said very much linked is that Oscar Piastri will take Latifi's seat from the British Grand Prix so this is kind of starting to be widely reported that this could happen I think we'll hear more in the coming days but I do think it's interesting that they would keep Latifi in place for the Canadian Grand Prix, which is his home Grand Prix. And as we know, because of COVID, we haven't had a, a, a Canadian Grand Prix since Latifi has been in the sport. So, guys, do you think that's the right call? Do you think it's harsh? Or is that fair game, considering that Latifi is 
for all intents and purposes, a pay driver. It's completely fair, Sam. Uh, he's had a dreadful season. He's crashed in multiple Grand Prix. He finished, what was it, 50 plus seconds behind the, 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 the slowest car um, today, well over a minute behind his teammate. He just, he, he's not making any strides. He's not making any progress. You've got people in Formula 2 who, are, who would relish that seat, who can't move up. And I think he's had, what, a season and a half, two seasons now to try and sort it out. I think it's time to go. Yeah, I, I agree as well. And, and I think the reason why they're taking him for the Canadian Grand Prix, being his home Grand Prix, it's probably in his contract that they have to pay for him to get home. So they probably think, well, you know, we're paying for you to go anyway. We may as well let you race <laughs> and then bin him off afterwards. I mean, it, it's just been a, a horror story for Latifi, right? And in, 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 I really feel like it only started towards the end of last year. And ever since then, it, I, I think the spotlight's been on him. And today uh, and the past few races, I mean, the guy's last, but not just last. It, it, he's so far off the field, Sam. I think everything that happened towards back end of last year has had an effect for sure on Latifi's performance for him personally as well. Um, I was always pretty positive about Latifi. I thought that he was not, not so far off the pace of George Russell that it was a problem given how impressive we know George Russell to be. He would on occasion, well, okay, I think maybe once or twice he helped qualified Russell, which isn't great. But when you think about that, that was very much his forte, or Russell's forte rather. But in the race, he was quite often stronger and he did score points for Williams first. And I think last season, he even scored more points than Russell did. So I was always kind of, you know, not in the anti-Latifi camp. But unfortunately, everything that happened in Abu Dhabi has had an effect. And I think if you can't perform at this top, at the top level anymore, as harsh as it is, maybe it is, is time for him to go. And I don't know about you, but I think there's no other man on earth I would rather have his seat or get into F1 right now than Oscar Piastri. Um, he should already be in the sport. So I, I think, you know, if, if he does end up leaving and this this turns out to, to, to happen, I think, well, for me, this is this, this is overdue. Um, so, yeah, I think I think this is positive. Um, let's let's hope Latifi has a last final race if it is his last final race in Canada. Shall we talk about Azerbaijan then? Um, what really was this? Was, was the did anything come out of practice? I mean, I, I wasn't following it closely, but it was just poor poisoning, poor poisoning, poor poisoning from um, the news, right? Just porpoising left, right, and centre. Um, it continues to get a lot of traction, pun not intended. I, I, I just uh, you've got two schools of thought now and two camps with. Some drivers saying it's a real issue with Lewis Hamilton suffering, which we say more than most, at least audibly, um, you know, with the media and other drivers who, who, are, who have gone top of it. And it really is a, a debate now of do the FIA step in and do something about it or is it down to the individual teams to sort it out? At the same time, you've also got the health aspect of it where, you know, people's drivers, sorry, health is being impacted quite negatively now. It's a really tough call, I don't, and I don't know what the best solution is. But for, but for sure, a, a street as bouncy, a circus, sorry, as bouncy as, uh, as Azerbaijan, it really did uh, show off the Mercedes issues quite badly. Okay. Uh, Sam, what did you make of all this? I, th- I think it's fair, and I think it's important that they, they look at it. I also think that they can't let one driver's view hold up making a change. And I'll, I'll get onto that in a second which is something that kind of has come out after the race today, which will be investigated further over the coming weeks. 
But I, th- I think it was Paul Dress who was saying that if a driver was to flat spot their tire in practice or you know, even in you know a race, to if it was serious enough, they'd bring them in, they'd change it straight away because the vibrations would be so bad. It'd be it'd be so difficult for the drivers to deal with. So why are they letting this just happen? Why haven't they said sooner? We need to we need to make changes here because this is fundamentally affecting the health of our drivers. But yeah, so moving back onto kind of what I was alluding to before, but apparently Fernando Alonso has come out and said, or no, Alonso hasn't come out and said anything, but apparently all the drivers are unanimous in agreement that something needs to be done, but it's Alonso who is saying, I don't think so. Like, I don't think we need to. He's the one who's kind of holding things up, which unfortunately Fernando is being a bit difficult at the moment. He's had a few incidents on track in qualifying in the last couple of races where he's held up traffic. He's not making himself any friends, which maybe he doesn't need to at this stage of his career. But yeah, circle back to the original point. They definitely need to do something about it soon. John, I know you're a man who does a lot of miles. Sitting for two hours in a car hurts your back, let alone when you're scraping along the floor, right? Did you think this can go on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you you go on any long distance drive, doesn't matter what car you're in, uh, you get out and you stretch and you're stiff. Um, do I think Lewis plays on it a little bit more because it's an excuse for his piss ball performance? Yes. Should every should the override the teams and get involved just because Mercedes are the ones who were struggling with it. I don't know. Should it be down to the teams themselves? I mean, it was discussed heavily today on the race and one of the very quick fixes, as in with the flat spotting of the tyre, is to raise the suspension for the race and lose speed and and, um, downforce. Mercedes choose not to do that. That's Mercedes' choice. Quite clearly, McLaren... Uh, were the slowest on the straights. Maybe it was because their ride height was higher to protect the drivers. So, I just, to me, I think Mercedes should try harder. They're obviously the worst ones, but uh, there is other people on the track who have uh, who have only just started with the pole in. Daniel Ricciardo uh, said it was the first time he'd experienced it today, and he, he thought it was a bit of a farce. I think from his interview in the pen until he experienced it today, and then he struggled with it as well. So, you know, I was worried with not having Cal on this show that we'd have we'd lack a kind of an anti-Hamilton view um, but thank you John uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to know that I was wrong uh, so we do have some balance still which is always always good to see I hear what you're saying I, I, I do get it that this is something for Mercedes to fix but a lot of the teams are suffering with it to an extent that it's not comfortable. You know, Carlos Sainz has come out and said that it's it's too much. So it's it's not solely Mercedes issue, but I do totally appreciate that it is very much Mercedes who are leading the way on this because they are suffering with it worse. And that is obviously very much coupled with they have had a poor start to the season by their standards. There's all those other factors at play. Um, but I personally probably, on, on reflection with how McLaren came across today with the treatment of their drivers. I'm not sure that, yeah, I don't think they necessarily have raised the ride height to suit those guys. (laughs) I think they'll very much make the decision that's best for the team. We'll get on to that. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I'm sure I was just, it was purely the Daniel Ricciardo that hadn't experienced it before. The the other bit that leads me to beat on Lewis a little bit is I, I'm actually a big fan of Hamilton, but I was a fan more of when he used to get on his private jet and fly to America and have a few beers and then fly back the week after, get a lot of stick for it, still put it on the uh, P1 and then still win the race and then get back on his private jet. This is just another thing that's all about him. George Russell's driving exactly the same car. He jumped out a bit and ran up the podium steps and stood on the number three spot. Hamilton made a big song and dance about climbing out of his car. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> I've, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to counter that again because Russell did lead the kind of conversation in um, after qualifying kind of saying that it's not good enough the porpoising across the across the sport. I think he actually said it's a recipe for disaster and that uh, an inc- basically said that a major incident is, is going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, so I think maybe just Russell is considerably younger than Hamilton, uh, whose body has done a lot of miles in an F1 car at this stage. Yeah, he's starting to look like an old man getting out of the car, isn't he? <laughs> James? Could it also be a setup issue for Hamilton as well? Because I don't know if you guys saw the... Uh... The, the grid walk or the uh, interview with, with uh, Toto at the, before the race started, but they were hinting that Lewis might not even make half race distance, which is a bit of a, you know, you don't expect to hear that about a seven-time world champion. So I can accept both schools of thought. I'm going to try and be the, the, sort of the intermediary here between, <laughs> between John and Sam. And so I can accept both schools of thought in a way, but could it be that Lewis is just struggling more to get hold of, uh, get to grips with this car? And therefore, he's experiencing the porpoise, the porpoising more. Uh, I don't. What, don't know what you guys think. On that. All right, I, I th- okay. Sam. I th- this is going to be the last part on porpoising. Yes. <laughs> you know, James, I'd forgotten about that whole half race distance stuff before the race. You've actually put me in John's camp now. Uh, that's 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 a bridge too far for me. That was a ridiculous comment. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do? Retire him? No, obviously not. Um, and I know we haven't started do- the race yet, Sam, but. It was about, it was pretty much spot on half distance. We got the radio message, right? Saying that his back was hurting. So yes, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. But go, John. <laughs> I, I, uh, I also just want to say that if, um, if it's really, really that bad, don't get me wrong, it doesn't look very comfortable, but, you know, freaking paid a lot of money. So live with it. Everybody else is managing. If it was that bad, why don't you do what Nicky Lauda did? and park it and say, it's undrivable. Just get out, walk off. If it's bad enough, that's what you should do. Money talks. I think you've, uh, you've just uh, found your, the answer to that one. Um, let's get into qualifying. And then there is a bit more to dissect in this race as well. Q1. It was, it was a, bit of a bit of a disaster for Lance Stroll. I mean, knocked out, we had, let's just cover who was knocked out. It was Magnussen, Albon, Latifi, Stroll and Schumacher. So the Haas performance doesn't seem to be working on street circuits. Um, but Stroll really made a meal out of this, bringing out red flags. Sam, <laughs> what's your view on Lance Stroll in this qualifying? It reminded me a little bit, like, you know when you see those videos of someone who's on ice or skates or something and they almost fall and they're like, oh, and you think they've caught themselves, you think they've done it, and then they go. And because he, he had an incident a few moments before he, he actually ended up bringing out the red flag. So... Yeah, the, unfortunately for Stroll, someone always brings out the red flag in quali- in qualifying in Azerbaijan. Usually it's more than one person. But yeah, yeah, he just 
don't know, didn't quite get control of it. Wasn't didn't look comfortable. Didn't look at ease. And unfortunately, yeah, it was waiting to happen. Right? It was just. It was. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. It's. It's basically who, who's it going to be? And unfortunately, for Stroll, who's had who's had a couple of incidents. You know, always does. Obviously, early in the season, with the whole um, qualifying thing with Latifi in Australia. So it doesn't help that narrative, which I do generally think is quite an unfair narrative. I think Stroll has much more pace and is a much better driver than people often give him credit for. Mm. You're wrong. Bambi on ice. <laughs> I, um, I, I, it, what, what, what struck me is moving into Q2, Vettel did exactly the same thing. Well, nearly the same thing in the same place. Um, again, he's known for sort of doing these things as well. Knocked out in Q2, we had Norris and Ricardo. Both McLarens out in Q2. Again, what's going on there? Um, Ocon out, Joe Guanyu and Bottas. And again, Bottas, why is he going so far backwards at the moment? On, on McLaren, you know, we've spoken about how they weren't so quick in a straight line, which when you've got 2.2 kilometres straight, kind of fundamental to your, your setup. But intriguingly, the delta between Norris and Ricardo has seemed did seem closer on Saturday as well, which is a big coup for for Daniel at the moment. Mm. It, it certainly has all weekend, and uh, I, I think Daniel Ricardo is putting a middle finger up to all the all the press from the past few weeks of of um, he's going. Um, one thing I did notice in, in Q two was obviously Perez came back with 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 fire and uh, was fastest, and it looked like he might just put it on pole. Um, and Verstappen was, I believe, fourth um, in in the Q two session. Yeah, I mean the Sergio surge, as Damon Hill refers to it, looked live and well yesterday, and I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't he didn't stick it on pole. Um, so. Yeah, I think Charles goes very well around here and goes very well in qualifying full stop. So it was always going to be a tough task. But the fact that Sergio was up there and competitive comparative to Max shows that he is starting to crack Saturdays. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, the fact that he nearly didn't have a race seat, it just blows my mind when he does stuff like he did on Saturday. you know, I think in the race, it made it look like his pace had completely gone. I think it was more the team just telling him to look after the engine because they were happy with team points. But from from qualifying and, and through the practices, Sergio was just, yeah, phenomenal. And I think we've we've got to this point where we know how fast the Ferraris are in qualifying. It's all, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be Leclerc, right? It's a Leclerc or a Verstappen, depending on the circuit. Um, but to have Leclerc, obviously, on pole, Sergio Perez in second, beating Max Verstappen. I, I, I'm liking this. I, I'm really liking it. And Sainz was in his um, home place of fourth. Yeah, I was going to say his element, which uh, usually suggests a positive thing, but his element of late hasn't been anything to write home about. And again, George Russell has outqualified Lewis. Uh, George was in fifth, Lewis in seventh. Um, this is becoming a bit of a trend now, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I'm wondering how Lewis is feeling um, inside because he, he's known for his qualifying pace. That's, that's his thing. Again, John, you said it earlier, they're in the same car. 
this is going to be starting to hurt. But in terms of Mercedes uh, improvements, you know, they're, they're, they're coming back a bit now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we were kind of mentioned it earlier about kind of setup. And there has been suggestions that Lewis has been the one who's run the more experimental setups throughout the season. And that could be partly to do with why he's kind of struggled for single lap pace and ultimately race pace as well compared to George. But this is definitely becoming a pattern. that, And it's not even only that George is playing on P5 and Lewis is P6. There's usually someone from the midfield between them. And so, yeah, it probably is concerning Lewis. And I think we have to be frank. There, I think all those other things can be true at the same time as saying that I don't think Lewis has got a hold of the new regulations as quickly as some of the other drivers, particularly George. Absolutely. And I think one of the other points to mention is Sebastian Vettel um, bringing what was that Aston Martin that was at the back for this season so far um, and qualifying in ninth. Um, James, do you think Aston Martin, we have to put Stroll to one side uh, for this conversation, but do you think Aston Martin have found their pace and they're, they're getting back right on the right track? With one car, yes. Uh, unfortunately, I think Vettel is effectively holding that team together right now. Stroll either doesn't, doesn't like the new regulations, he can't get the best out of the car for whatever reason. Uh, Stroll's a whole separate, uh, whole separate co- conversation. Uh, I, I think Vettel will probably be in the fringes of the top 10 in qualifying for the next few races. Uh, I, I think that there are a few tracks coming up to his advantage he should be able to use. Uh, but I, I don't see them getting any further than that for the rest of the season. Mm, I, th- I think you've just said something about Vettel holding that team together. If all the news, all the talking points, all the publicity in that team is is Vettel. You know, Vettel's on Question Time. Um, again, his LGBTQ plus stuff that he's been doing this week. Um, where's strolling in this team? I th- potentially, he he doesn't want to put himself out there on a platform in the same way that Vettel does. Obviously, Vettel's a lot older. He's further on his career. He has four world championships to his name, four consecutive world championships to his name. He has earned the ability to to be bigger than the sport in what he does. And also, I, we, yeah, we always say this, but I think, again, need to, the work that Matt Bishop is doing as the chief communications officer at Aston Martin has to be applauded. He is really, really... Um, gelled well with Seb and and the issues that are important to him which I think is really good to see yeah I think honestly Stroll probably doesn't want to be known for that early in his career and I think it's difficult for him because not only is he a pay driver he's also a pay driver in a team that his father owns so his performance is always going to be questioned why he's there is always going to be questioned even when he's doing well so I think he probably is just trying to concentrate on the results at the moment. And yeah, if, if Vettel goes, it's a bit of an aside, but if Vettel goes, I can't see how they'd bring in someone like Mick Schumacher, who has been linked to that seat. Because that you then have Stroll, who's not getting the best out of the car, and Schumacher, who is really struggling this year. So mm. I think Aston Martin definitely need Vettel more than he needs them at this stage. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's enjoying it at the same time. Um, John, John, what do you make on Aston Martin at the moment? Maybe it's just that Vettel's more used to driving a Red Bull. Nice. I see that. Okay, well, we're, we're going to talk about the race. But before we do, we have a new sponsor for the show. They're called Eight Sleep, and they, they create sleep fitness products. And these are mattresses 
that heat, cool, adapt to your body, change the temperature. And John and I have been sent one. Uh, John, what you've had a few nights on it now. This is a, genuinely a very cool product, and we we are lucky enough to be sent one. But but what, how have you found it so far? Yeah, I, honestly, it, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I, I I didn't know what to expect. To be honest with you, at the end of the day, it's it's a mattress, and I was thinking, well, you go to sleep when you're tired. What difference is a mattress going to make? <laughs> but this this thing is this thing is unbelievable. It, it makes I I literally set it up and nearly got in bed. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was just yeah really really good product really good cool so thanks to 8 Sleep for sponsoring this podcast we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the race and everything that went on this episode is brought to you by 8 Sleep good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues decrease the risk of heart disease lower blood pressure and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's yet Still more than 30% of people struggle with sleep and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. I personally have always struggled to get the right temperature in my room when I'm sleeping and ruining my sleep. Now I'm falling asleep in record time. Thank you to 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover is one of the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress that you already own. The temperature of the cover will adjust to each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics and the bedroom temperature reacting intelligently to create their optimal sleeping environment. Go to 8sleep.com forward slash formula nerd to check out the Pog Pro cover and save £150 at checkout. 8 Sleeps ships to the USA, Canada and the UK. All right, so let's start with the race. I like to ask occasionally, and I know Sam started to hop onto this as well uh, when I've been away, which I, I respect you for, Sam. The review of the national anthem. So, um, John, as the newbie to the show, I want to know today what did you think of the Azerbaijan national anthem? Uh, I thought for a moment I'd change the channel to the Disney Channel because I was expecting the genie from Aladdin to jump out <laughs> halfway through. It just reminded me of one of the uh, one of the the scenes in, in in the cartoon in the animation of where they're doing a, a big parade or something up towards the palace. <laughs> it's it, we've had such a mix, and there clearly are no regulations on what the what the host circuit do for a national anthem. I mean, we've had a bloke singing on his own to full bands to children. Um, Today, there were just people singing without microphones out of sync. Um, Sam, what did you make of the lyrics for their, for their anthem today? I loved it. It was simple, effective, exactly what you want from a, from a national anthem. I thought it was, uh, yeah, aside from the, the, the performance, I thought as a national anthem, I thought it was an absolute banger. I thought it was a 10 out of 10. The, the way it was delivered, they nailed it, absolutely nailed it. Loved it. And I think I think for Silverstone coming up, because that's always a good one, I enjoy their national anthem, obviously. There's something behind the pre-recorded thing, because you don't get the wind on the microphone, you don't get the bloke who hasn't switched on the microphone. Like, I liked it. And I thought that, that it got me pumped, their national anthem. You know? It was about four hours long, but it was, a, it was an energetic, right, let's do this. We therefore have finished the uh, national anthem review. Cool. So, start of the race. Um, Sam, lead us through um, the first few corners and, and what came out of it, and really what you thought of Perez. Well, I thought Perez did exactly what he was asked to do. 
he was told to get his elbows out and he did that and he did it gracefully as well if there's such a way of you know doing so yeah he got off the line well starting on the inside especially in Azerbaijan you've got a a bit of an advantage because I don't think Leclerc got a, a bad start but also Max got a very good start but kind of got penned in so yeah there was nothing giving there but yeah Sergio did everything that he needed to do and most critically at that point of the race he separated himself from Max which says a lot of the fact that you feel like he has to but he took team orders temporarily out of the equation Mm. uh, which was the biggest thing for him I think I mean, I, having spoken and interviewed race strategists on this show, Sam, I, I, I was thinking when this radio message came, came, came through saying, get your elbows out in turn one. They already knew that. They, them, them saying that on team radio was a warning to Ferrari, right, we're coming for you, stand back. And it's these sort of psychological things I'm starting to really love. It, it, it's, to, to, to a viewer, they think that was the first time this conversation happened. No, it wasn't. It was a warning. Oh yeah, like they played the game brilliantly. So you know, from a from that perspective, it was exactly what they needed to do because they know Ferrari knows that Ferrari needs the result more than them, and they're saying, you know what, come and get it, go toe to toe with us because we're not going to give it to you. And unfortunately, Leclerc had to acquiesce to that. And uh, yeah, I think why wouldn't you? As they said in the commentary beforehand, you don't win a race on the first corner but you can lose the race in the first corner. Mm-hmm. So that was very much the philosophy deployed by, by Ferrari. And so the other thing that happened at the start, <clears throat> the other thing that happened at the start was um, all of our team were sitting scratching our heads over what a grid incident is. Um, we know what a, a, a jumping um, the lights is, uh, jumping the start rather, um, but we, we were very confused. What is a grid incident? How can one have an incident on the grid? Um, James, Talk us through this. There's a set rule in Formula One. In, within 15 seconds of the, of the formation lap start, everybody has to be off the grid if you're not, in, if you're not sat in the car. Uh, on the Tifi's car, they were not. A mechanic had to push him back into his grid spot because either he had gone forward too much or the car hadn't gone into the right place. Slam dunk, time, time penalty during the race. Um, the fact that it was Latifi, again, was unfortunate for him. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't happen very often. F1 drivers are pretty skilled on how to line up on a grid, aren't they, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, I was going to say it's not Latifi's fault, but maybe it is. I mean, he's the one who's ultimately part of the car there. It's definitely uh, Latifi's fault. <laughs> but also, but the team, the, the, the team could have pushed him back sooner. Like, they didn't notice. Yeah. It's not solely on Latifi. He sat in the car. So, yeah. But also, do we know if... Had they left Latifi, and so if the mechanic had come out and not touched the car, would that still have been a penalty? And also, had they not done anything at all, and Latifi was found to be outside his grid slot because it was a formation lap, would there have been any penalty there anyway? Would yeah, was it a shot and you know shoot yourself in the foot type scenario? Hmm, John. Yeah, I agree exactly. I don't think it's Latifi's fault. He doesn't drive into the into the box at that point of the Grand Prix. He's wheeled in on the trolley. So it wasn't down to him that they were further forward. And I don't know whether there would have been a penalty at all because he's not effectively jumping the start. It's the formation lap. So I, I think the mechanic should have just left the car alone. 
So I, I've actually, I actually thought this was at the race start. Why would you have a mechanic there at the race start? It's starting to make sense to me now, but I take back what I said. It's not Latifi's fault. He was put there. Um, yeah, this is really odd. And even the way the mechanic just sort of strolled over, pushed it with one hand, it was almost like he was trying to get in trouble. It was just bizarre. They, they know these rules, don't they, Sam? Yeah, they do. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, you you forget things and you overthink things and you do something you shouldn't do. But I do think, had it been the actual race start, the, the penalties maybe should have been, at least for the team, there should have been some kind of fine. There should have been something more severe. Because, you, you know, a car's about to start accelerating to upwards of 200 miles an hour and some guys stand in front of one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, now I'm thinking so, about yeah. it. I'm thinking, right, I, I, I'd assumed that there's a race start and some bloke walks out and uh, pushed the car back. Okay, right. I just completely misunderstood that one. But yeah, <laughs> a 10 second stop and go though. That's the harshest penalty before dis- being disqualified, right? That, that's a big, a big penalty. It is. It's a big one. Um, but they are the FIA are really strict when it comes to their procedures at the start on the start of a race, and that that will never change. And to be honest, it it has to be that way. Um, there's always an argument of should should a punishment be driver related or team related? Sometimes when it comes to things like engine penalties, everything else. But when it comes to stuff like that, absolutely, ten seconds in the pits, take your punishment off you go. It's a team sport. It's performance-based. I think it makes sense to penalise the driver. You, you can add a fine as well, but it makes sense to penalise the driver because it's you know we're not naive enough to think that basically everyone just rocks up on a on a Friday and the guy get you know guy gets in the car and drives it. There's so much work that goes behind the scene. So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fair cop. All right. So um, Perez had an incredible start. We've we, we, we've explained that and. He had pace beyond Verstappen, beyond Leclerc, and he was off in the distance. Um, but he just lost it. I mean, what, do you think that he went too hard in that early phase? Um, because they, Leclerc and Verstappen just suddenly started coming back. John? Uh, it's certainly the way that it looked while well, watching the race. It just looked like all of a sudden his tyres had gone away from him and he, he just lost all pace. And then I think in the uh, in the post race interviews, he he actually said that they were told to just hang back and control the narrative. So I I, I think uh, he was he was unfairly um, criticised for losing pace. When I think really it was probably team orders that we didn't hear over the radio telling him just to protect the engine. Yeah, and also Christian Horner said after the race that allegedly. Sergio had been harder on his rear tyres than Max. And he also did say this, on, which is unusual for, for Sergio, because he is, as we all know, very, very good with his tyres. So, are we buying that, or is that just an excuse? Are we going to go back to um, uh, Max Verstappen racing team, John? It probably boils down to the email that Josh Verstappen sent, I think. <laughs> James? Yes, simply put, it's Mac, it's uh, Max Verstappen racing, and uh, do we really believe anything Christian Horner says anymore? I mean, we've talked about it a few times on this podcast now. Of he can be, he, he says what he wants in the moment. It's very difficult to leave a word that comes out of that that man's mouth. Um, I, I think he, I just think he was shafted a bit today. To be honest, he clearly had the pace, and I don't think he deserves the criticism he's getting right now. Yeah, uh, a bit of an aside, but I just, I just want to 
circling or something. Has anyone noticed how Christina Horner of late is really, really pushing the Red Bull product? In, it almost seems like quite every weekend at some point he'll be, you know, oh yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll be on the Red Bulls or, you know, we're going to send a crate down to whoever. It, I don't know. I don't get why he has to do that. Like, I, 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 I find it funny. It's kind of cute. You're, you're, you're right. And he took that opportunity with the Aston Martins copying the car to then create a, to, to, to then focus in on his green Red Bull can, which created so much publicity. I mean, John? Yeah, exactly. And he, it was the, that exact moment in time when he said, you know, our, our whole team are well hydrated on the product. I was like, all right, <laughs> fuck you. I mean, yeah, it sounds a bit ominous. But for me, the, the green Red Bull can thing is top tier PR. And that is ultimately what Red Bull are, is a very, very good marketing company that just so happened to have an energy drink at this point. Yeah, because none of those cans actually have Red Bull in it. Max Verstappen doesn't have a can of Red Bull before he goes uh, and does a race, does he? It's full of water, let's be honest here. But the the whole brand... Oh, completely. um, Well, maybe that would explain it. Should we talk about lap nine? where it all started to fall apart for Ferrari. I can't believe we haven't really even hinted about this yet. We all thought, let's be honest here, right? I'm going to ask you to be honest. We all thought it was science's fault, didn't we? John? Absolutely. It's always science's fault. Yes, completely. (laughs) Sam? (laughs) Slam dunk, without a shadow of a doubt. That was on Carlos in my head. And so did the commentary team as well, right? It was, oh no, he's, he's, gone, into, he's gone too far in. But Ferrari have had miserable performance, well, miserable reliability rather. Um, and yeah, it's hit Carlos again. Um, what is going on here? Who wants to take this? James. Well, the, the, the biggest challenge I found with Ferrari this race wasn't just their strategy call to bring Charles in early, which effectively lost them the race, but we'll get to Charles in a minute. It was more the reliability side again as well, because um, there are six Ferrari-powered cars on the F1 grid in 2022, right? Two of them finished from two different teams. The rest all retired. Now, we don't know if they're all the same problem, but it looked very similar. So if I was, a, um, if I was an engineer at Marinello, I'd be gulping water quite quite badly right now because I would not want to be in the office when the boss comes in on Monday morning. I mean, you would, at this, at this at, based on what you've just said, you would want it to be the same problem so there's only one to solve. If they're all different problems, then that's a heck of a lot more work. Sam, what's your view? I think we've sort of glazed over very quickly one of the important talking points here. And I think it's because we all thought that Carlos was at fault and it turns out he wasn't. But he was well off the pace by that point. He was well behind the other three. I say the other three. Um, After after the race, after he retired, he said that he had dropped back intentionally and was just about to start pushing to then start moving forward. Oh, yeah, that that old chestnut, yeah. yeah, Yeah. And I was like, well, (laughs) you can say that because no no one can disprove that. It's a very convenient narrative for him to, to lead with. But ultimately... At that point of the race, he was much further behind and much further towards the pack than he should have been, which has been a big problem for him of late. So the retirement kind of let him off the hook slightly in some ways because he was underperforming for those nine laps, as far as I'm concerned. It's not really, it's not gone well for the scientists. You resigned for Ferrari at all. You just cannot get the pace together. Um, and he had one moment he could attack Max at the start of the race where he looked like he might get past. 
But after that, that really was just game over and he dropped back. Yeah, to be fair, though, it, um, him having a technical issue, whatever it was, engine-related or hydraulics, it did stop him putting it in the wall and causing a red flag. <laughs> well, and I was, I was sort of thinking the same thing there, John, right? When you look at his, the, the, the sort of the performance this year, it, it just... When we, when, when we look back at this race and we see a DNF for sites, we won't remember that it was an engine failure um, because there's just so many different things going on here. Um, but we will get to the second Ferrari in a minute. Um, it was Verstappen and Perez that I want to talk about now. So, okay, we've, we've had this conversation a little bit here. But they, they, they definitely orchestrated this overtake. Um, between Verstappen and Perez. Did they not? And the radio comment, no fighting. That is basically saying swap position. It was kind of soft team orders, wasn't it? It was a an implicit instruction. They didn't come out and say, you have to let Max pass. But they did tell him that essentially Max is coming through and you're not going to do anything about it. Props to Sergio. He did come out and say after the race that that's the right thing to do. And I actually don't think that was just him being told to say that. I think he was being brutally honest that he didn't have the pace at that point of the race. But I would have liked to see him fight. I would have liked him to have felt he could fight and make a race of it. Yeah, because they're driving the same car on a straight. And that was a very easy overtake to make, right? John? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. They, um, they, it was clear that Max had more pace. He would have overtaken him at the next DRS zone anyway. Uh, but yeah, it was so orchestrated. He couldn't have given him more room. You could have got a bus past him as well, given him that much space. It was just, you know, that's obviously what was in the contract that he signed too early. Oh, John's absolutely right. If you're going to, and I think this is all part of the kind of the, the Max Verstappen racing narrative, these little subtle tells that they're trying to kind of weave into the narrative. If they wanted to orchestrate a, a move that looked legit and couldn't be scrutinized, they would have done it into turn three because that's where the majority of the passes were today. DRS wasn't strong enough for a, an easy turn one move. So the fact that it was so easy does look very, very much like they've uh, told him to get the hell out of the way. So, I mean, if we're honest, there wasn't a huge amount going on after this. It was a bit of a dull period. Um, and I did speak to you guys and I said, based on statistics, lap 20 is when the next sort of thing's going to happen here. Um, and I'm very proud to say I was bang on. Um, just as Max Verstappen went into the pits, we th I thought, right, okay, right, we're going to have a little bit of something here. Um, and we s switched to a shot of smoke pouring out the back of another red car. Lap 20, both Ferraris out. This is a disaster. James, how are they going to pick themselves up and turn this season around? Because th they're about to lose this world championship if they can't sort it. I don't see how they can if I'm being brutally honest, unless that sounds a bit defeatist, but they had such a grip on this championship at the start of the season. Leclerc could do no wrong. He was imperious. Uh, Ferrari were a match for Red Bull in certain circumstances on the, on the pit wall. It seems as if it's all just gone to pot and there seems to be no explanation as to why. And I 
don't, I, I, I just cannot see unless they have personnel changes or they start really investigating what's going on with the engines. It needs a complete overhaul back at Marinello for them to make some changes. Otherwise, it's just a sticking plaster. Well, exactly. You know, they're, 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 they're leading the championship. Red Bull are catching and they've just gone, oh, here you go, Verstappen and Perez. And, and Christian, here's your gift. Here's, here's all of the points. Have them. We're off. Sam? I feel like I'm going to say this right until the point that it actually is too late. But I think it's too soon to be to to cast that on the season and say that it's done. A few races ago, we were saying the same thing about Red Bull. How are they going to fix this? Ferrari is so far ahead. You know, Charles is further ahead in the standings than you know, Lewis or Verstappen were at any point last season. All those things were being said, and it's totally flipped. And I don't want to be that guy to be like, oh, well, I did say. But I remember saying at the time, the early summer last year, the title battle flipped completely. Red Bull looked absolutely, utterly dominant. And then it changed in the matter of two or three races, and it looked like it was Mercedes and Hamilton's to lose. That could happen again. This will twist and turn. So, yeah, I don't have confidence in Ferrari right now. And rightly, Charles doesn't either. But it's just too early in the championship. We're, what, a third of the way through? There's a lot of racing left to go. There is, there is. Uh, John? Yeah, I agree. It's too soon. It's too soon to write them off completely. And let's not forget, Ferrari are a pedigree. They've got a lot of money. They can soon go out and buy a pallet of duct tape. And we've seen today in the race that duct tape fixes everything. <laughs> this, is, this is another good point. Um, James? The only point, I don't want to be known as a, as, as a defeatist um, on the podcast. I mean, my, my, my only real challenge with it, though, is that, and I'm going to quote Cal, who I'm sure will be very happy with this, is Ferrari, have, you know, they've not won a world championship now in, a, in what, just over a decade, if not longer now? And the the team seems to have lost how lost its edge in terms of how to be at the front. I said I made this point a couple of a couple of podcasts ago. I said Cal, Ferrari have not been in the position to fight for world championship. Mercedes and Red Bull last year were in a really intense fight that tested them to the absolute limit, and it's made both teams stronger and more intelligent. Ferrari are still rediscovering that form. The the pick call they did the pick call they did today with Charles was I'm sorry it was, it was a bit ridiculous. It was far too early. You can, you, you can argue that, it was a, it, that they wanted to try and see if they could you know, get ahead on strategy later on in the race, but you know, it was 40 laps on one tyre they were asking Leclerc to do. He was always going to lose that pace. I do think James is right on that, that Ferrari have lost that je ne sais quoi that you would expect from Ferrari. I think it's 2008 when they last won a championship. The constructors I wish you'd used an Italian season. sort of phrase for that. Um, it was just wrong using a French one. But, but anyway, continue. I'm, I'm sorry. My, my Italian is even worse than my French. I won't tell you the other two things I know how to say in French. Um, not appropriate for this podcast. Um, but I think they've lost that edge that they previously had. And we saw that in the Vettel years and also the Alonso years, when, in different ways, Alonso was outperforming the car, and later Vettel 
just they didn't capitalize on early season pace and form. So there are some real concerns there, and they are making some strategy blunders. Unfortunately, we don't really know how today would have played out. I think it's pretty fair to say that it wouldn't have been the optimum strategy and that the Red Bulls would have ended 1-2, even if Leclerc had finished. Mm, that's bold. Technically, though, where the uh, early pit stop, the type of track that this is, there was always going to be another one. Or it's, it's not always, but there would there's a good chance that we were always going to get another safety car, if not a full one or a virtual one, or even a red flag. It's just that sort of track. So, and even um, Perez said their strategy should have been to come in and change tires on that first on that first safety car and he said he believed that it would have been a completely different race so he would have had fresh tires maybe he would have been able to hold off max or maybe it just was purely always going to be team orders but i think red bull ultimately wanted to bring into the pits as well they just missed the uh missed the message yeah you know what i i do think you're right in that john that I, it's easy to look at the ends and not the means in the sense that we're looking at the finished result and that you know they, they maybe wouldn't have hindsight's a beautiful thing had, is what you're trying yes, to say yeah? yes that is exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to say thank you for more articulately and eloquently putting and faster uh, yeah, yeah you've, you've, you've got me out of a jam there okay um I think it's time to talk about the McLarens in this race um, and, and what went on with them. James, I know that, well, you are the McLaren fan on this podcast. Um, we all love McLaren, but that's your, that's your place. Um, they were very, they bullied Daniel Ricciardo today, didn't they? It was bullying. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that word and you're going to tell me why it was. They shafted him. Utterly shafted him. Uh, the problem was you had... You had Lando ahead on, hard, on medium tyres with Ricardo behind on the hards. And they, wanting, they were wanting Lando to try and get ahead of Fernando Alonso at the round of pit stops, which, by the way, he didn't. He finished way, way behind Alonso. Um, came out of the pits. I don't even know how many seconds. It was something ridiculous, wasn't it? Like 20, was it 20 seconds plus ahead of him? Um, by, the, by which point, when Ricardo was able to push, he had no pace left in his tyres and was swallowed by the midfield. And the safety car, and then the virtual safety car saved his race, saved his skin, and he was able to salvage, you know, what was it, eighth or ninth place. So I know, I know Danny Rick is struggling, um, but that's not a way to treat a driver if you want to try and get him to stay. Yeah, because he, he wasn't struggling today, right? He, he, no. he, he, he was better than at that point. He, he had more potential than Lando, and they, they, they backed up all this narrative that he's not secure in this team by treating him that way. Sam? Yeah, I, uh, you're right. I think it's easy to for them to kind of say, sorry, Danny, you, 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 we just don't trust you at this stage. Yeah, we don't like you to... much, so you're going to stay behind our favourite. Yeah, a little bit. And they got the two calls the wrong, the wrong around. A, had they let Ricardo through early in the race, he may well have worked his way further up the order. But B, by taking that stance early in the race, that then meant they couldn't swap them later on when Lando did have more pace and Danny was slower on, on mediums, even though they're much fresher and the, in theory, optimal tyre. So they kind of, yeah, they'd pigeonholed themselves, which then, yeah, led to Lando's kind of, yeah, dissatisfaction. 
uh, on I team th- radio. I think this has actually worked out well for Ricardo. He's shown um, pace and then been, to the fans, certainly, looked like he hasn't been treated very well. So this has actually done him a favour, potentially. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I um, to be fair, I'm a fan of both drivers. Ricardo's very good. He's good to have in the sport. Uh, but I'm also a fan of Norris, and I think he's got huge potential. The problem that Norris brought to the table in this particular race is he's read the same handbook that Lewis and Max use, which is if I whine and whinge and spit my dummy out about it, then hopefully something in the team will change. And the, the radio messages across the... Uh, across the last few laps where he was saying well before it was different because that was strategy and this is for race result it was like, just shut up and drive catch him and then tell him to move out of the way but don't do it when you're so far behind yeah so do you do you guys see it in the same way as, as john does that it wasn't a fair thing for lander to ask do you think there's a distinction between the two scenarios it came across Lando felt privileged or of a higher position to me. That, that's, that's how it came across. Um, and again, there's strategies behind everything, so I'm sort of trying to make what I just said balance a bit. But it, it came across that he's the number one driver. I think also... Yes. A, uh, I think as well there's a little bit of uh, Monza 2021 maybe lurking in the background. Uh, you had... So on the radio towards the end of that race, you had Lando saying, is it best for the team if I stay where I am? And he did, duly. And since then, he's, and after that, he's been, as we say, the undisputed king of McLaren. And he has, I think, I don't like seeing Moody Lando on the radio. It's not, it's not, it's not an attractive quality for, any, for, any, for anyone to see. Ross is a bit tech team, as you so to say, a little bit privileged. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, I think that Monza quote or what he said over team radio is funny because obviously him staying in position was the best thing for the team you, why would you risk it but he's he's trying to kind of you know force the issue a little bit so yeah i think for me as well you you touched on daniel coming off well today because people feel sorry for him and he did ultimately stay ahead and get the better result i also think he did it fairly gracefully like he pushed on team radio early on, but he did respect what the team were telling him. And he, he it did turn around and mm-hmm. advantage him in the end. So yeah, I think he's very much looking like a team player and that's really important for him at the moment. Every little bit to enhance his perception in the sport is, is important because perceptions endure and people are starting to unfairly uh, criticise him and it's very easy to jump on a bandwagon. Absolutely. So um, we'll get on to Hamilton because he was voted driver of the day, by the way. Um, and there are there were some good moments today, but we'll talk about some of them, which aren't um, him on the radio or getting out of the car. I just very, very, very quickly wanted to say that he won with 14% of the vote, a resounding victory in the driver of the day stakes yeah yeah that's uh that's a huge dominance <laughs> k-mag engine gone lap 33 um another ferrari engine car it brings me to the point of where has Haas's momentum gone now there there are some questions on development are they still developing the car but they, they were running like k-mag should be sixth in my head, that's where he started the season. This is where he should be running. This is not happening for Haas and Mick Schumacher as well. And K-Mag, they're on different levels. I 
think that they started the season very strongly. I don't think that is representative of where they are. Maybe it was at the time, but it certainly isn't now. However, the midfield is so jumbled up that they will have the occasional weekend that um, punctuates that kind of equilibrium. So this was just what, not one of those weekends for them. A little bit like, I think it was Australia where they had an off weekend. But also, with regards to momentum, that has been driven solely from one side of the garage. K-Mag can't do it alone. They are relying on him solely to score points. And even when the car's good, you don't think that Mick's going to get points or it's unlikely. So when they have a bad weekend, it's a total write-off. Sonoda had a strange issue with his rear wing. John, you referenced a bit of gaffer tape. This was very strange. There is half a rear wing, and the DRS clearly is... is, I don't know if anyone noticed it before, but the the thing was hanging off the back. John? Yeah, so in in the shot just before... It was literally, I think, the lap before, and they cut to his rear camera view. And you could see the arm on the actuator was flapping around in the wind. And then when they cut back to him the lap afterwards, the actuator must have completely come apart, and half of the DRS was down, and the other half was open. And now... Yeah, Paul DeResta made a huge song and dance about how unsafe it was and the wing could come off and everything's going to, oh, the whole world's going to end. And they literally fixed it with a bit of duct tape. Brilliant. Yeah. And there was this the, the talk of Peter Bear coming storming down just while he was there. They made a bit of a mountain out of a molehill there. Um, basically, just put the thing back on and don't use DRS, right, Sam? Yeah. This uh, <laughs> sky's. Song and nods about it did make it look somewhat silly when, as John rightly said, they fixed it with, with duct tape. For me, the biggest thing was I think it was disgusting for Yuki. He was having a strong race. He's had another strong weekend. Alpha Tauri have taken a step forward, as we can see. So, yeah, that, that's gutting for them. But, yeah, sometimes you've got to be creative with your solutions. And fair play to them, they were. Exactly. That that was that's the difference between retiring a car, not getting any points, not owning the the, the millions that come with points, um, and just say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not working. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that nothing, to my knowledge, has come back on that because that's exactly what needed to be done. That's this sport. Let's go. Let's now go to Hamilton. Did some overtaking today. Um, he, he he did some chasing down. He he. In my opinion, Hamilton had a better day than one thought he was going to. And with a bit of potential in that car, forgetting the the the, the issues with the with, with the car, he's still fighting. You know, he's not going to sit in fifth. He's going to chase down and overtake Gasly and essentially maximize on others' losses. So, you know, if both Ferraris out, we finish with a Mercedes three and four. That's far more than I'd expected from them today. What did you guys think of Hamilton? And also, let's talk about Russell. He was pretty... He had quite a relaxed race, didn't he, James? He did. Russell is, in results and I think in in, in full drivability, outdriving Hamilton right now. He seems to have gotten onto the regulations a lot better than Lewis has. He's been in the top five at every single race so far this season. It's his second podium of the year as well. Uh, I, you know, I, I just think that... Russell is in a really good place at the moment. He's not winning Grand Prix. Um, he, but, uh, you know, which, he, 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 start that again. 
Russell's having a really good uh, start, to the, start to the season. He's been on the podium twice now, um, been in the top five every single Grand Prix, uh, including this one. He's out driving Hamilton in both results and in terms of how he's driving the car. I think he's in a really good place, to be honest with you. And it was a very quiet race for him. He didn't really have much to do out, out there today except just drive the car and bring it home. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched, I think it was on the uh, podcast last week from Monaco, was it, the week before, and said that he, he consistently is, on his own, best of the rest. He's nowhere near the front, uh, near the leaders, and he's, he's miles ahead of everybody else, including Lewis, which is a bit of a shock. I know I've beat up on Lewis a little bit today, but when, when he raced for Lewis and was told to slow down so bot so he didn't make Bottas look stupid, it was it made it exciting for when he was coming in. Now they've got problems with the Mercedes car. However, he has always delivered, always delivered the maximum amount of that car. Always, always, always. He's the only driver in the paddock who has scored a point in every race so far this season. He's this season's Carlos Sainz, in the sense that he will have no cameras on him, no attention, but he'll get the job done. In fact, on Twitter after the race. I saw someone tweet saying George Russell's highlights of the Grand Prix. And you know when you haven't got internet and you're wanting to load photos on Twitter and it has that kind of grayed out kind of image. Someone yeah. basically just posted that because <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was absolutely nothing discerning about his race other than the fact that it was just so quietly unassuming. He got the job done. He did everything he needs to do. I do think that Lewis ended up being further back because of they double stacked in the pit stop. Lewis had to then do some more overtaking. There were some other factors at play that meant the, the gap between them was that large. So it could have been closer between the two of them, but you, but that shouldn't take anything away from how good Russell's result was today and has been throughout the season. Yeah, and one thing we were, we were discussing um, is... Mercedes, yes, they haven't had the performance, but they've had the consistency and reliability. They're not actually a million miles away now from Ferrari. And th- this, again, this is why this is how the championship can completely turn on its head again, whether it will or not, different, different subject here. Um, but there's, there's a lot of potential, and George Russell is doing exactly what he needs to do. We can't pick a fault with him currently. The other retirement we had in the race was Zogran Yu who was having the best performance of his career so far. Um, real shame. When's his time going to come? Because he, he's clearly got the talent. He's, 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 he's ready for it. Shame the car let him down today. I'm a bit conflicted on this because I think he's going to have a very similar season to Yuki Tsunoda did last season in his debut year. Not because I think he's as erratic or mistaken, inconsistency prone, but he scored points on his debut, and it's been a little bit quiet since. And he, and but really for for Joe, it hasn't often hasn't been his fault. There's been a few retirements, and there's been a few weekends where he's had bad luck. But I'm conflicted because the guy coming in behind him at Alfa Romeo or as part of the drive the Sauber Driver Academy is Teo Porcher, who is a real real talent, very very strong. So I think it's difficult to to kind of say that he definitely will be in the car next year. But I think if he isn't, you know, based on the first seven or eight races, it would be harsh 
because he hasn't got the equipment he has maybe needed at times. Towards the end of the race, Stroll retired with some sort of oscillation in the car um, to, to, um, two laps before the end. What is it about people just giving up in F1? It does frustrate me that you can just go, oh, okay, right, we're clearly not going to get any points. Let's create a, a problem and, and park it up. Stroll was not obviously having a great race, a great weekend at all, but do we even know what the, what the issue was yet? Has, has anything even come out? Do we know? I don't know, but surely the sport scrutinises these things to make sure that they are as they say they are. I would have thought that you can't just park the car because you don't want to and not you know not receive kind of some kind of punishment or fine for it. I don't know. It. I haven't heard anything about it. All I know is that yeah, he didn't make it to race distance, and he kind of it was all very quiet and a bit vague as to to what the problem was. That's mainly because nobody cares. <laughs> I, I had forgotten about it, so you kind of uh, got a point there. Um, yeah, Vettel, he's sixth. I was looking very strong, was on the offensive, made a mistake, performed a beautiful spin to get back on circuit. And again, just... It, Understanding, if you look to the race results alone, you would have n- had no idea that that happened. He looks like he's actually had a very good race without any incidents, and he's just kind of worked through the field. So, yeah, I thought he had a, a very good performance. He did, and there's something about Vettel in Baku, isn't there? I mean, he he he's he seems to love that track. Um, he's had his moments, uh, referring back to when he break. Well, when he drove into Lewis a few years ago. But last year, he was on the podium. So, brilliant performance from Seb today. And uh, thank you, Sam, for reminding me about that wonderful 180 he did, about a mil- his weir wing with a millimetre away from the barrier. It, it did look beautiful. Um, so, just to recap on the race results, Max Verstappen took the win. Perez in second, Russell third, Hamilton in fourth, Gasly fifth, and as we've just mentioned, um, Vettel coming in in sixth. Let's let's go to our driver of the day and race ratings. John, because you're new, I'm going to start with you today. Oh, thanks. So um, um, your driver of the day and then your race rating out of 10. Driver of the day is really difficult. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't understand how Hamilton got voted on Sky. I just, I just don't, I think. There's obviously been a mistake there. Um, I, I think, to be fair, God, it's really tough. I, yeah, because there were no gonna, real key people, no. right? It was quite a, a, a slow race. That's it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to throw a wild card in there and say Alonso. Okay. Uh, give me some context to that, John. <laughs> Purely because of the speed, the straight line speed. Um, and and uh, for... For somebody who didn't really achieve much or do much, he got referenced a couple of times for being so fast on the straight. But other than that, uh, uh, the race race rating, three. I think that's the lowest we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> three out of ten. Okay. It was just boring. You know, I, I should have used it for a nap. If, we were, if I wasn't on the podcast today, I would have used the second half of the race and had a nap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I'll, I'll get to mine when, 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 when you decide. You go for it, but, Sam. Go for it. Well, I even said in the, in the chat during the race, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm starting to feel a bit sleepy here. And I actually used those first, and it was very early in the race to be thinking about this, but I was actually think, starting to plan my nap in between the race finishing and, and the podcast. And again, Baku being a quick race, when I realised that the race was almost over at half one, I thought, oh, yeah, I've got two and a half hours. This is brilliant. <laughs> it was a proper, proper nap. And yeah, so that was kind of, I guess, my, my highlight of some of the race. Um, but in all seriousness, driver of the day, I'm going to give it to Daniel Ricciardo. Not because it was you know, a particularly special performance. It wasn't. It was you know a, a solid drive to eight, to P8. But he didn't complain. He got on with the job. And when you compare it to where he has been of late, it's a huge step forward. And he should be really buoyed by that and take some confidence from it. Okay. I think, I think that's fair. Um, and your race rating, Sam? As much as I'd love to, to keep it as, as well, put it as low as, as, as John has, because again, as I said, my nap was the highlight um, of the afternoon. I'm going to give it a five because it, for me, was just the most mediocre, vanilla, meh of a race. It was, there was nothing discerning about it, in my view. And I'm giving it a five, which is maybe a little bit higher than I would want to because it maybe looks worse comparatively when you compare it against all the other Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which have all been bangers. The European Grand Prix in 2016 in Azerbaijan was a dud, but this rivaled that. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a 5 out of 10. Okay. All right. Uh, James, your driver of the day in race rating? My driver of the day is Seb Vettel for his amazing... Uh, you know, pirouettes coming out of the corner. <laughs> I think that was and the still, most exciting thing that happened, right? Pretty much. And still recovering to a, you know, to a really respectable P6. So he's my driver today. And I'm going to go down straight down the middle of both of you guys for my race rating. I'm going to go for a four because it was boring as anything, but it was also, as we say, very mediocre vanilla. So a good solid four. All right. Well, I, I, I get very excited for Grand Prix, especially this one. Um, so... I did make a prediction of what my race rating was going to be. Um, I'm going to have to uh, go back on that. I predicted a 9.5. I was ready for a good race today. Um, I don't think I've ever rated... I may have rated one race a 9.5 in this whole history. However, um, it didn't live to that. But my driver of the day was, based on the conversation we've had today, actually, um, it was George Russell. He drove the car and he did what he needed to do. Yes, it wasn't spectacular, but... That's what he, he he made the most of it. Um, my race rating is going to be a five point five, um, so that I'm the highest. And the only reason for that is that there's lots of talking points that have come out of this. And okay, the race was dull, but there's there's a lot to look forward to in the next few races because of the the retirements and the way that the championship's swinging. So yeah, it was a dull race, but I think um, it, it's going to create some excitement. Yeah, I think this season there are two kind of races. There are the races that are certified bangers, or okay, certified bangers is maybe a bit much, but entertaining races. <laughs> well, you're talking about like a Qatar last year, uh, sorry, a, um, 
Saudi Arabia last year, like a, a full-blown chaos? No, like, as in a good race, better than I expected, this is why I love the sport kind of thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so maybe Certified Bangers is a little bit much, but you've also got the ones that are the context, they're peripheral, they are the wide reading, and they build the narrative, and this was one of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and yeah, Sam, you spoke about taking a nap after it. The first thing I did was go back to watch the final part of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which was uh, a clacking, it was a cracking race, um, which I was up far too late watching as well. So um, coming up next, we've got Canada. Guys, what are your thoughts on Canada? We've had some incredible races over over the years there. Um, I... I don't want to get excited for it because I got excited for Azerbaijan, but what do, you, what do you think we've got to look forward to? James? I always get excited for Canada. It's one of my favourite races of the season because it, it's a race of high attrition. I, I think it's going to favour Red Bull more. Ferrari certainly need to try and fight back at, the, at this race. Uh, I'm going to predict that Leclerc will finish second. He'll split the Red Bulls, I think, at Canada. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to seeing how uh, what happened with McLaren is going to continue to develop once once we get there. Is Ricardo going to be more on the pace? Is Norris going to continue to try and reassert himself? Uh, I think they're the two they're, they're the main stories for me. Either of you got a thought? I can't wait. I think it's because we haven't had one for a few years. It's that kind of familiarity. It's like going back to like a, a previous lover. Like it's comfortable. And it's, <laughs> I was literally thinking it's like going back to an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> it's, I, should be, I, should be, I should be careful. Cause but I, they're I, never I, as good as you expect them to be, right? <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this metaphor short. Yeah, I'm gonna cut this out of the show. Get myself, uh, <laughs> before I get myself in trouble. Um, it's familiar. It's a great track. I think it's... I think it's probably, yeah, like James, one of my favourites. And also, I'm intrigued to see how this Latifi situation plays out, which will almost certainly come to a head over the next week. And for me, the biggest thing, I've said this about Miami, I love an evening race. I just, it, uh, there's just something really exciting about it. Uh, based in, being based in, in Europe, it's, yeah, starting at 7pm. It's going to be a nice sort of Sunday evening kind of uh, treat. So, yeah. Very, very excited about it. Good stuff. Um, John, should we have Sunday dinner uh, before before next race? Sam's just just built a whole evening for me in my head there. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, uh, the good thing about an evening race is you don't get frowned upon when you crack a beer watching it. Um, not that that stops either of us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it should be good. I mean, it's a fast it's a fast track. I think it's uh, definitely a, a Red Bull track. Hopefully it'll be Perez and not Verstappen. Uh, on Paul, and I, I think I think Perez stands a good chance of winning it. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it, it it should be good. Obviously, we'll get all the usual moaning from Mercedes because it'll make the car bounce a bit. But other than that, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, you bring the wine, mate. <laughs> so we will uh, see you next week for the Canadian Grand Prix review. On Wednesday, we will have our News from the Nerd show so that you can hear all about what's going on in the sport. And it's the only place you need to go. Apart from, Sam, there's, there's, there's another place where you can go until then or after then. Where, where would you go for news? Well, that would be FormulaNerds.com. And why would you it's... go there, Sam? Why, why? Why would anyone go there? Well, it's, it's all the racing single-seater racing news you need. You've got F1. 
you've got F2 and F3. You've also got W Series and you've got Formula E as well. So, so why wouldn't you go there? I'm not sure. I mean, I do go there. That's where I get my news from. Um, so, yes, that's where you need to go for all the latest news. We will see you next week. Thank you very much, John. Did you enjoy your first show? Yeah, well, yeah, I was terrified. So hopefully uh, <laughs> if I get invited back, it'll be, the, uh, it'll be really the testament, wouldn't it? Well, we haven't given his surname so that he doesn't get the hate mail from some of the things he said, but uh, we'll see how we get on. Uh, Sam, thank you very much. Thank you. And I wish that I came across as confidently and as well as Dodden does when I'm terrified. I am <laughs> like a, a, a sweaty, nervous mess when I'm terrified. Even when I'm confident, I'm still a sweaty, nervous mess. Yeah, well, you, so are you, no, are, are you unconfident now, Sam? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, Ouch. <laughs> yeah. no, you know I love you. Uh, James, thank you very much. Cheers, thank you as always. Really good fun to do. Awesome. We will see you. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Words Podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race Podcast. Hi, I'm Dawn King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Brophy. You're listening to the Cut to the Race Podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Podcast Network.